You ready? Yeah. All right. Tell us everything about the greatest shot you ever took. Hmm. I'm Roger Sharp. I've always wanted to be a writer. Wife, girlfriend. Boyfriend. Divorced, actually. You should be happy. You finally wrote something important. So you're single. Welcome to GQ. If you feel so going for drinks. Actually, I have a date. This probably sounds weird, but I play pinball all the time. Helps me focus. Are you any good? It may be the thing that I am best at. Why are they taking the machines? We got busted. It never even occurred to me that the game was illegal. But for over three decades, pinball was banned in New York City. I want to show the city council members that they've had it wrong for all these years. Oh, you're a reporter? I just have a question about the pinball ban, sir. Somebody keep these damn kids away from me! We're going to set up a hearing, and we'd like you to come in to testify. You're going to play pinball at City Hall? I want to redeem the game. <laughs> that is a game of chance. That is a game of skill. Well, joining me on Moving Radio is a duo of directors. That's right. They're directors, they're screenwriters, they're brothers. It is Austin and Meredith Bragg. We are talking about Pinball, the man who saved the game. It's a film that's screening as part of the Calgary Underground Film Festival. There's some question about this fact, but I believe it to be true. It's the Canadian premiere, and it's going to be happening Thursday, April 27th at 8.30 p.m. at the Globe Cinema, as with all screenings of Cuff. And uh, you know what? If you want to check out more about the film, you should go to uh, calgaryundergroundfilm.org. And plus, on top of that, and I'm sure Meredith and Austin are very excited about this. There will be a free pinball tournament from 4 to 6 p.m. at Pin Bar before the screening, so you can get your pin on before you get to see the film, which is fantastic. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having Thank us. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, you know, I love talking to people about films, but uh, I was quite shameless the second that I saw Meredith. I was like, Meredith, you got to know, this is... That was fantastic. Like I looked, at, it was everything I love about film. It was creative. It was funny. It was heartfelt. Uh, it had amazing performances. It had great visual style. So that's just me uh, saying the truth, not shamelessly sucking up to you, uh, mm. gentlemen. The film is about Roger Sharp, a guy I had zero clue of who he was. So this film was illuminating for me. Um, and what's great is that yeah, it's the title says it's the man who saved the game. That's obviously part of the story, but what I think is even better is that it is a a really just a backdrop to Roger's life and the man that he is, which I think is is just as equally fascinating as this you know crazy footnote in history that he kind of is. So maybe just let the audience know a little bit about what they can expect from Pinball, the man who saved the game. Sure. It's the story of Roger Sharp, uh, who in 1976 helped overturn New York City's ban on pinball machines that had stood for decades uh pinball was uh made illegal by mayor laguardia it was considered um organized crime backed and it was taking the lunch money from our children and um and so it was banned and it was you know this young midwesterner who was sort of you know fish out of water in new york recently divorced who got his start started writing for uh gq and met a single mother um all during the span started writing the first book about pinball that had ever been made and 
that was really what drew us to this story. It was that it was more than just that moment in the courtroom. Most of the pinheads in the world, they know that story, right? They've seen the picture that's online. They know Roger's story, but it was the background, I think, that really brought us in. In fact, Meredith Cold emailed Roger in, what, February of 2020? and yeah, February uh, 2020, yeah. Had a three-hour-long yeah, conversation it... with the man. <laughs> and after the, after the conversation, yeah, I, I texted Austin and said, hey, I think this might be a feature because he had told us all of this other all of these other things that was that were happening around the time of the shot that is as it's known in, in pinball community. And it, you know, we're not pinball people. So this gave us an in. It was no longer just this quirky footnote about this weird law that once um uh, uh fell across New York and how this man with this crazy mustache helped save it, you know, by proving that it was a game of skill and not chance. It became about the value of taking risks in your life as well and what that means and how your life is going to do, be defined by it. It was our in. It was our in. Yeah, I think that's incredible that it, this came out of a germ of an idea. And then after a three-hour conversation, you're like, I think I think we got what we need here. Like, to see, And the fact that it happened in 2020, like how quickly that all came together is really impressive for both of you, Austin and Meredith. So I'd love to talk to you a little bit about that process of going through the script here, right? Because this this film is a really beautiful, fine balance between where it's really honest about Roger and it's kind of heartfelt. But then it also at the same time, it's about the relationships in his life. And it's very irreverently humorous, too, and the way that it kind of plays with the narrative. Talk to us a little bit about how you both kind of balance that you know, the heart and the irreverence and kind of sliding, because I can only feel that it's probably very much on on tap for like your sense of humor. I think growing up, we were probably uh, irreverent sense of humor is probably the nicest thing ever said about our behavior. <laughs> um, and to be clear, it wasn't just that one three hour phone call. Uh, that was just the introduction. We spent a large portion of lockdown on Zoom with Roger going up through the stories of his life and constantly getting more and more and more material. Meredith likes to say that it's it's less like writing a narrative feature and more like writing a doc because there was just so much information we had to whittle down uh, to find that story at the center. And I think as far as balancing it, it was part of that, those discussions with Roger, you know, cumulatively, we talked to him for days during COVID. And uh, also to Ellen and and um, Seth and James and all these other people around GQ and people that knew him at that time that show up as characters in the film. But it was this push and pull with Roger. I'll tell you, when we first approached Roger about doing this, <laughs> you know, anytime you come up to someone and you say, hey, I'd like to make a movie about your life and it's going to be a comedy, I think they understandably are a little bit apprehensive so part of the discussion with us and as we were writing the treatment and writing the script and showing him things um was a sort of us playing around with the narrative and him wanting to wanting to pull the narrative back and that that relationship we just found it really fun and and you know we ended up becoming really good friends with roger and and so having the ability to show that on the screen uh, just seemed like a fun narrative device that we hadn't really seen that before. Yeah. Did you end up kind of pulling stuff from the conversations that you had with him? Where you're like, 
oh, that's about 10 minutes. We're going to kind of whittle down into like two. Oh, <laughs> without it, a doubt. It, it felt it felt like you're just like, oh, my. We just fell into the script in some ways. Of course, you're going to pat it with the other things. But and that's what I loved about it, too, is that if you really go in there and you don't know a lot, you might really feel like it is a documentary. Were, were you hoping that maybe you're like, if we can kind of get them a little bit, if we could just like pull them in so that later on they'll kind of realize it and be like, oh, my God, I totally got that hoodwinked here. <laughs> well, we always want to pull them in, right? That's yeah. that's step number one. Yeah. I, I mean, look, a lot of things came straight from our conversation with Roger. In fact, a lot of the device uh, I trace back to threatening Roger because he keeps saying you know, that this is just a footnote. It's not that important. Everyone who know, wants to know the story already knows the story. And eventually I just, I sort of threatened him and said, Roger, I'm going to open this movie with you saying, I don't know why you want to make this a movie. And that is precisely what we did. And we used that push and pull throughout the entire film. I just thought the doc, that sort of documentary device. And um, no, I think people understand, hopefully they understand um not at the beginning that eventually that this is not the real Roger Sharp. This is an actor, Dennis Boutsikaris, who's portraying Roger. I, I think we we like the device because it allowed us to really talk about history and truth and what's important to an audience and then what's important to someone like Roger, to to the protagonist and someone who we're telling his life story. What he views is important and his legacy is different than what, say, a journalist or someone on the outside may think. And we just like that. That was, that was a one way we could play around with it. We're speaking today on Moving Radio with Austin and Meredith Bragg. The film that we're talking about is Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game. Uh, the film actually shows at the Calgary Underground Film Festival. You can see it April 27th at 8.30 p.m. at the Globe Cinema. Uh, and remember, too, there's a free pinball tournament from 4 to 6 at Pinbar before the screening you just managed dennis Butzkaris, uh who plays mr sharp uh as that's termed in the credits there as is the older roger and then the younger roger so you kind of uh you know go back and forth between them is mike feist uh and i love that you chose to kind of follow both of these characters and like one is kind of almost being edited by the other in some ways and and yet you know, as much as they're two different portrayals of of a person at different points and times in their life, you can see that kind of through line, right? That it felt almost like, did they talk to each other closely about like, what is going to be the subtle difference and like kind of get in the side of the room and be who they are? Or was that something like it was a conversation where you kind of led with both actors and said, look, we're, we're trying to go for this for younger Roger and this for older Roger, because it's executed beautifully. I mean, it's a bit of all of it, right? I mean, they were certainly talking on set. They, you know, they had numerous scenes where they were right next to each other and talking through things, mimicking little movements and things, patterns of speech. At the same time, you know, obviously, Mr. Sharp, the older Roger, has changed, right? One would hope throughout the course of his journey. He's a different person than he used to be. And they all spent time with Roger, right? Roger... Sharp, the real Roger Sharp was uh, an executive producer. He was on set and he was helping us out. And so he was having conversations with them constantly. As much as I would like to take all of the credit for that, uh, I think we have to to hand that over to uh, to Dennis and Mike. 
Were you more kind of about execution than you were? Because if you have the right actors, sometimes you feel like they're getting that job done already. Did you feel like the conversations you were having were more about like, let's talk about shots. Let's talk about composition. Let's talk about kind of where we're going with this. And you kind of almost felt like because you were working with a a small amount of actors, it almost kind of feels theatrical in some ways, right? Like like a stage play would be like a much smaller cast where everybody's kind of connected with each other and working really well. Did you feel like that's kind of taking care of itself and we can worry more about some of these other things? One of the great things about working on a feature where you have department heads who are so good at their job is that you really do get to focus with the actors and play, you know, really talk with them and, and work with them because you don't have to worry so much about um, the lighting or how things are set up, which is very different from our origin story, which is doing everything ourselves on no budget, low budget. When you talk talking with with Mike um, and and Crystal and and Dennis and everyone, you end up sort of getting a feeling from the actor how they want to be directed and all you know what's helpful for them and what isn't helpful for them, and it's different for every person. With someone like Mike or Dennis or Crystal, we get number of days. I mean, we shot this over twenty one days. Mike is in practically every scene so we really got a good feeling for how to interact with him on set after a couple days and how to get you know the best performances but so much of it is in the casting and uh you know hats off to our casting director Lindsay Weissmuller because she kept putting amazing people in front of us for these casting selects and when you have someone of that crystal and Mike together and that sort of their caliber of actor just so so well-trained and professional and just kind, good people that really love to play and work. Sometimes <laughs> they have the script in front of them and you sort of just see what they do. And then it's about just a couple tweaks here and there because by and large, they're elevating everything that we had written. Um, and we just get to sit back and watch and just pinch ourselves. When you're shooting something on this budget and this quick, it you don't get a lot of takes. You're moving pretty fast. the The train is 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 moving down the track, and they're not. You don't really get a chance to really stop and do a a whole lot of um, ten stroking to sort of figure out what you want to do all the time, or how many. Sometimes it's like, okay, we you know what we thought we would have three hours to shoot, we have forty five minutes to shoot. How are we going to do that? And being able to have these actors on set who are so in tune and so good allows you to 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 do that when the pressure is on it's um we can't say enough about the cast and how great they were you mentioned earlier um you know rogers on set executive producer as well uh clearly you already had a relationship before going into that because you were having many conversations with about about how you wanted the script to go he's a writer himself did you find that it became kind of a challenging balance between you know what maybe your idea was what your feeling was what you wanted the film to be and sometimes like not that Roger would be demanding, but just trying to like honor him as well. Did that feel like that was maybe a little bit more difficult to do when, you know, you've embraced him into this creative process as well? I never thought it was difficult. If anything, it was supremely helpful, right? Uh, I, Meredith mentioned before, we didn't come at this as pinball people. There is a very large fandom for pinball out there and you have to get it right. If we got it wrong, we would shut out, shut down half of our potential audience right out of the gate uh and having roger through the process was huge in that regard um because you know things that are seem small right the difference between a lane and a ramp 
turns out ramps weren't even invented at that point back in the 70s. Um, and, you know, it's little things like that that, you know, were really great to have them along. And also that push and pull just made for a better movie, right? The any time that we had something that we, um, you know, would put in front of Roger and he'd say, uh, guys, you know, that it it brought more truth to the story, uh, you know, and, and I think as much as possible, that's what we were aiming for. I would say about 90 to 95% of the plot points in this film are 100% accurate. Most of the ones that aren't, we call out, as you know, but most of what we've done here is Roger's story, how Ellen and Roger met, some of the phrasing that he used, you know, that that they use, we, we lifted and put directly in the script. Now we compress things, we telescope the time down, we um, made the banter a little bit more cinematic and chose our in and out points for scenes to sort of really push the uh, the narrative. I think people would be surprised at how much is um, 100% factually accurate, especially about their relationship, his time at GQ, um, and well as the shot itself. You know, one of the conversations I always love to have with particularly people that end up, you know, directing stuff that they've written themselves is how you have to to kind of shift in your brain, or even if you have to produce on top of that as well. And for you two, it becomes almost like, okay, what roles do each one of us fill sometimes? And also balancing those different roles that you have for yourselves as creative people. So talk to us a little bit about for yourselves, maybe that creative process, because I'm sure that's something that people like to talk to you about, because it's like, oh, they're brothers. And maybe there's like some sort of like allusion to like, oh, the Coens, you're just like that, right? Talk to us a little bit about maybe how you feel like you work with each other and and maybe if you feel like you fill different roles in that creative process. I'm not sure if we fill hugely different creative roles. I think we each have strengths. And I think Austin would agree with me that there are certain aspects of script writing that um, I think he has uh, more affinity for than I do. And same thing with directing, um, you know, working with how we work with actors, working with visuals, certain things like that. So in that sense, there may be a little bit of an imbalance, but we're talking about 55, 45%. It's not huge. It's not as if one person only stays in their lane and does one thing and another person does something else. I think the biggest help for working together is that um, we can be brutally honest with each other, <laughs> especially when it comes to comedy. If we don't feel like something is funny enough, it's not a judgment on whether the person's funny it's a call to arms that we need to be better because we know we can be. We've seen each other be, be you know, hit hit a certain uh, level, and we want to keep maintaining that level or surpass it. So when we see someone, you know, whether it's ourselves or the other person, not putting in their their A game or or uh, resting, you know, doing going for the easy, the easy joke, the the easy answer. There's a part of us that really wants to stress test it and say, no, like we can do better. What's more interesting? What's a little more creative? What's, you know, is there a better way to do this? One of the weird things that we do is after talking through an outline for something, um, and we will talk a long time as we sort of try and figure out what the basic story arc is going to be. After we have a, an outline for the film, we write separate drafts of the script. 
So he'll go off and write a draft and I'll go off and write a draft. And then we'll come together a few weeks after and switch drafts. I'll now have his draft in front of me and I'll have a highlighter and I'll go through and I'll be highlighting things in his script. And those are all the things I think are great and brilliant. Then we switch our drafts back again. Now I have my original draft that he's marked up with his highlighter and I take a different color highlighter and I go back through and I highlight all the stuff that he missed that he should have highlighted. And then we talk through it and we may do that a couple times until we get a hybrid document. And what that does is it, it gives us a little bit of a writer's room. So we're getting alts for a couple things. So occasionally we can choose, oh, I like your scene here better. I'm going to steal this joke. I'm going to steal this line of dialogue. Um, and then as these things get closer and closer, we're pretty much in a mind meld. So when we're, we step on set, we can answer anyone's question. And we are 99.9% .9 sure that we're going to have the exact same response. And that allows us sometimes to split off. So if we had an A unit and a B unit uh, camera, I would go off with a B unit. Austin stayed with the A unit. We would shoot separate things. But when we knew what we were when we got together, that that it was in good hands. Um, or one person, if they were having a trouble with the scene, they weren't quite sure how to deal with it. It's really helpful to be able to tap someone else on the shoulder and say, "Please take over. <laughs> uh, you're up because I, I'm not. I'm not seeing it, and I know you are." And it's been, it was great. It was, it was, it's been great working this way. I don't know if it's normal. Um, I would it's love certainly to not have, efficient. No, I'd love to have the Cohen <laughs> brothers success. I'm not sure, you know, but um, yeah. Why are we so. disabusing people of the thought that we are just like the Cohen brothers? <laughs> <laughs> we should just stick with that. Good point. Good point. <laughs> well, you mentioned a little bit before uh, as pinball fanatics, pinheads, What's what's been the reaction? Have they what's the moments that they love that's like is probably the minutia of the game? They were like, you totally nailed all the stuff in the peep show. Like that was crazy good. Or are they like that opening, they used the 1957 version and that Wisconsin bar. Like, was there anything that the pinheads were just really giving you a slow clap for in this film? It varies wildly. There's a lot. Like when it comes to the minutia, one of the things that I find interesting anyway, is uh, our sound department. Actually, there was a pinhead on our in our sound department who went to some of these, you know, pinball museums, arcades, and found the old machines and got the right sounds, which sounds odd. But if you're a pinball person, you know the difference between a Bally game and a Williams game, right? You know that those chimes are different. Those sounds are different. The flipper sounds different. Uh, there are forums, I think, in dedicated to finding these errors in, in uh, pop culture, feature films, television shows, and telling you all about it. I'll say Roger, we, he told us at one point when it, we realized this was actually going to get made as a film. Um, it's like, look, guys, I want the film to be good, but just as important, maybe more important, we need to get the pinball right. Like he still works in the industry and he, you know, he knew that, that for his own credibility, he, we needed a movie that got the pinball correct. That's off to everybody for, for helping do that. And for Roger, for sourcing all these old um, electromechanical games and, you know, the pinball community showed up, they would literally showed up in with in a van and a couple pinball machines would come out that Roger specifically asked for. And we use these old games and and 
thank God for our pinball tech, Eddie Kramer, to keep those games mm -hmm. working uh, throughout the shoot, or at least appearing as if they were working. <laughs> yeah, and it's not just old games, right? It had to be old games that were in good condition, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And those are difficult to find. And like Meredith was saying, the pinball community really came out of the woodwork and really helped us out. Well, it's an impressive piece of filmmaking, whether you're a pinhead or not. Uh, I feel like you're really going to enjoy pinball. The man who saved the game. Our guests today have been Austin and Meredith Bragg, the uh, directing and screenwriting duo and brothers that came up with this film. Uh, it's making its premiere at the Calgary Underground Film Festival. It's Thursday, April 27th at 8.30 p.m. at the Globe Cinema. I suggest you check it out. It is well worth your time and you're going to be the person that's telling all your friends that didn't go see it that you have to check this out because i feel like i'm that guy right now uh you have to check this out for anybody that happens to have the misfortune to have something else to do that night or just misses it i know this is kind of the festival run you maybe don't have specifics about it but uh, if you don't where can people start to be like okay i want to find out more about this and maybe i can start to get a heads up um, where I might be able to catch this on VOD or physical release or anything else after that. The best place yeah, to look. Uh, sorry, the best place to look is at uh, pinballfilm.com. Um, that's going to have all of the information uh, relatively up to date uh, as fast as, you know, as we can keep it up to date. And um, yeah, to check it out uh, there and you can watch the trailer. There are links there for VOD uh, as well you know, an Apple TV and, and Amazon and other places. So that's the best. Fantastic. Thank you both so much for your time and talking about this film. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I can't wait for the next thing that you guys got coming up next. Um, and I'm going to start Thank looking you. for all the shorts as well. Cause I'm like, I got, I got to see more. If you go to the bragbrothers.com. There we go. Click on a, <laughs> click on a, a piece of cake. You can, you can watch our, our short, uh, the short that got us on the radar for um, ah. MPI to give us the shot to uh, to make this feature. So you can watch that there. All right. Since I'm done editing YouTube, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you.